Well, we have many visitors with us this morning, and I want to say welcome to Sovereign Grace. I will ask, though, if you're a visitor with us today, um, there are some uh, visitor's cards in the back there on the uh, podium. I'd ask if, you, if you're able to fill one of those out and drop it in the little box there so we know how to reach you and get in touch with you. That would be a blessing for us as well. Amen. Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 18. As we continue in Matthew's gospel... We now come to a new section of Matthew's account of our Lord's ministry. Um, and from, the, again, this point forward, the theme of, Ma- of chapter 18, we're going to see, is humility in the faith. Humility in the Christian faith. Jesus will actually be using this moment to teach his disciples very important things about humility within the body of Christ particularly, because if you remember at this point forward in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is spending more intent time with his 12, preparing them for uh, the responsibilities of the church that will be coming after Jesus's ascension into heaven. So, I mean, how often, think about this, how often do we struggle with greatness? Today's passage, verses 1 through 5, is going to show us a a lesson that Jesus is teaching his 12 about our preconceived idea of greatness. I mean, whether we're truly the greatest person alive or not, I mean, the struggle of ambition is at the center of all of our hearts. Some of you you may be struggling with ambition. It's part of who we are sometimes to be better, to improve to advance in our status. But we, we, we long to be better, to be greater than our peers, our family. We, we want to be greater than who we truly are. 
And in a, in a basis, there's really nothing necessarily wrong with desiring to improve. But what Jesus is teaching the disciples here is going to show some immaturity in this understanding. It seems that we all desire to be someone other than who we really are now. Whatever better direction is to long for than to be the greatest. Don't we all want to be the greatest at whatever it is we do? And so today's passage is going to focus on the question that the disciples pose to Jesus about the greatest. And the profound answer that Jesus gives here tells us an irony. I mean, the kingdom of heaven is full of irony. And the least and the weakest and the most humble of us are actually elevated to the highest and the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So if you're able to stand, will you stand with me as we read God's word together? Matthew 18, verses 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word. And we have a scene here in Matthew's gospel where Jesus is teaching a very profound truth to his disciples, but also to us. We, we, we long for things, Lord, that are self-centered. We long to be greater than we really are. And a lot of times, Father, that motivation of ours leads to destruction. And so, Lord, I thank you for showing us in your word who is the greatest in your kingdom is actually those who are the most childlike, those who are the weakest and the most, uh, the, the, the most frail. Those are the ones who depend on you the greatest. They are the ones who lean into your son, Jesus Christ, and depend on his salvation for them more fervently than others. And so, God, this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts. You would open our ears to listen. Father, that you would cause us to wake up and realize where we see ourselves in your kingdom and whether that place is appropriate or not. Lord, use this time to humble us. Use this time, Lord, to bring us into the proper alignment with your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. I mean, we now come to a pivotal chapter in Matthew's gospel. I mean, chapter 18 centers on the kingdom of heaven and what takes place between sinful men who are arrogant and the authority and the power of our Lord. We're going to see a lot of this theme throughout all of this, this chapter. We're going to be in this chapter for several weeks. I mean, this, this chapter initiates a theme of love in the community. and it's, it's almost like a little Sermon on the Mount. When we come to this part of Matthew's gospel, it's almost a repeat of chapters 5 through 7 of Jesus' greatest sermon. So here's another mini-sermon. It's, it's, it's a continuous speech. Chapter 18 is one long speech by Jesus, a teaching moment with his disciples. It's, it's not a... Similar, it's, it's not similar or smaller vignettes. It's not small little pieces that are woven together by Matthew. It's one long teaching by Jesus to his disciples. So if you can imagine, as we're going through chapter 18, his disciples are sitting around him and he's instructing them here. 
chapter 18 is, it's, it's as if Jesus is laying some groundwork here through a longer teaching moment. Remember, Jesus is spending some intimate time with his disciples here. And this illustrates attributes of the kingdom of heaven. Now, here, here's a brief outline if you're taking notes. Actually, chapters 18, 19, and 20 kind of go together. Chapter 18 being clearly one, one longer discourse, but then 19 and 20 follow right along. Chapter 18 is focused on the congregational ethics, if you want to use that term. How, what does it mean to, how, or how ought we to be together as one body? It's a sermon on the congregation. That's what we're going to look at here in chapter 18. But then in 19 and 20, Jesus now shifts over to how do we live in domestically with one another in the home? And then in chapter 20, how do leaders lead the church? So 18, 19, and 20, these chapters, as we go through these over the next several weeks and months, that's the focus here of Jesus' teaching. I mean, he responds to these 12, these apostles, he responds to their question into the greatest of the kingdom by providing lessons on humility and mutual love for one another. I mean, instead of using himself as the example, what does Jesus do? He refers to a child here. You see that? I mean, Jesus draws the attention of the necessity of limiting oneself by humbling oneself, by redirecting one's ambition, our goals to be the greatest. I mean, if we remember the final verses of chapter 17, Jesus taught the great humility of paying the temple tax. You remember that last week where his disciples were struggling with whether or not they should, or actually whether they should pay a temple tax and they were actually being accused by the tax collectors of Jesus. You don't pay the temple tax, don't you? And there was a tension there. And how does Jesus respond to that? He, he responds with humility. We are going to pay this tax. And so Jesus is, he, he, he repeated predictions of his looming suffering and death and resurrection also as a model of humility and self-sacrifice. That's a continual theme here. And that, that's what that would be required of his disciples. This same humility and sacrifice that Jesus models, he's now showing us in chapter 18 to his disciples, you're going to be required to do the same. Remember that from this point on in Matthew's gospel, he's focused with intentional time with his twelve. I mean, the kingdom of heaven is going to be handed over to these men as they establish the humility of community, the love and the bond that draws them together. I mean, Jesus' instructions in this chapter it highlights God's providential care for his children as well. I mean, Jesus' 12 are going to face hardships. Think about this. After Jesus departs here, they're going to face hardships, and they're going to remember this lesson from Jesus about being like a child. I mean, his lessons move from those who would offend this little one to the disciples themselves. And Jesus lays out principles about how to be together, how to reconciliation. Later in chapter 18, he's going to lay out principles of reconciliation amongst the body to be forgiven and humble. Let's look here in verse 1. Here's, here's how this all begins. This whole lesson about humility and the least of them being the greatest begins in verse 1. The disciples lay the groundwork here with a very selfish question. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? If, as we're going through chapter 18 over the next several weeks, go back to verse 1. If you want to understand anything in chapter 18, verse 1 lays the groundwork. This, it, 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 this was the question that sparks the entire teaching of Jesus. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that these 12, they sought clarity on a question. Which one of them does Jesus see as the greatest among this little group of men? I mean, if they've sacrificed time and family and home to follow this great teacher for the last couple of years, how might they be positioned within the kingdom of heaven? They've picked up on the lesson that Jesus has been telling them that I'm going to Jerusalem and I must die at the hands of the, of the teachers and I will die, I will be buried, and I will raise again. They're now beginning to see it. They're still confused by it, but they're saying, okay, maybe Jesus is getting ready to establish his kingdom now, the one that we've been waiting for. So here's the question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Can you imagine this scene? I mean, notice the present tense of the question, though. Who is the greatest rather than who will be the greatest? Notice that difference in tense? I mean, this question focuses on the present. Who is the greatest right now, Jesus? Who do you see as your favorite one? That's the question. I mean, I think we can take this question for what it truly is. It seems like a childish question to me. A selfish question. Jesus, which one of us do you like the most? I mean, do our children sometimes ask us who is the greatest amongst the family? Yeah, I see some of the kids going, yeah, yeah. You want to be number one in your family. Now, with our two boys, they're not, well, they're still my boys. They're 24 and 25 years old. When they were growing up as their father, I would play the game with them. And whichever one was obeying me in the moment, or whoever was the greatest help for me in the moment, that was son number one. And that son number one status could change from time to time depending on their obedience. But don't we do this? It's a little childish, but this is what they're doing. Now, Martin Luther actually seems to take it this way. Here's what he says. Christ not only bears this foolishness of theirs in kindness, but he even takes it up as an opportunity to speak and teach about his kingdom. Jesus is a great master teacher, and he sees their childish question as an opportunity to teach them something profound about the kingdom. I mean, the question posed by the apostles thinks of the kingdom of heaven in the, in the carnal flesh. I mean, these men were still influenced by the teachings of the Pharisees and the scribes and even the militant zealots amongst them. They were looking for an earthly kingdom that would be established by the great Messiah. And, and, and the Messiah would establish himself as the new king, a temporal and a worldly king, a, a, a material king. I mean, these deep-rooted ideas were, were difficult to remove from the minds of these 12. And so we see that in the question here. I mean, these deep-rooted ideas influenced them with worldly thinking. And Jesus saw the need. He saw a, a teaching moment once more to show them the true nature of the kingdom. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Lord? Here it comes. Look here at verse 2. I mean, imagine being at this scene. Jesus calls a child to him and places this child in the midst of his disciples. Look here at the response. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn to become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verses two and three is the response to the question, who is the greatest? I mean, Jesus stands amongst his 12 with a teaching moment that they could not ignore. He was using an illustration here about being the greatest. It's as if Jesus points out the ludicrous nature of their question, the childlike nature of their question by showing them a child. Look, here's a child. How is he fit 
for the worldly kingdom that you imagine here? Think about the answer to the question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In verse 1, that the disciples in their mind, they were still thinking about an earthly kingdom. How many of us would take a child and put that child in charge of an earthly kingdom? That's what Jesus is showing here. He's showing the ludicrous nature of the question. I mean, this child had a small presence as well. Can you imagine a little child being surrounded by a bunch of adults? That child is now overwhelmed by just the physical mass of the men surrounding this child. So the illustration here is pretty clear. This small child standing up amongst grown-ups. And Jesus is saying, this is the greatest in my kingdom. Can you imagine that? I mean, he uses this child to a, for a profound teaching moment about little ones in the kingdom of heaven. And that's a theme that we're going to see throughout chapter 18, the idea of the little ones. It's going to be repeated here. Verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the King James, I like how the King James puts this, and he said, Verily I say to you, say the King James uses that verily, verily language. Verily I say to you, except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. you got to turn from being this arrogant adult and be converted to a childlike state in order to be the greatest in my kingdom. I mean, notice Jesus' words immediately following this question of who is the greatest. He demands that the men who insist on being the greatest become like or be converted. In other words, these men were in need of a heart change, a change of selfish motive. They must convert to the status of a child in order not just to be the greatest in the kingdom, in order to just be a part of the kingdom. Jesus is reminding them of this. He makes this matter a warning. That in fact, unless you turn around completely, become like little children, you will not even get into the kingdom of heaven here. I mean, this is there's no room for arrogance or pride in the kingdom of heaven. I think that's what Jesus is pointing out here. Because remember the nature of the question. Who is the greatest, Lord? Not who will be, but who is the greatest right now? There was a childishness in the question. And Jesus is saying, you have to convert your heart and be like this child. Forget being great. In other words, seek to get in instead. Don't worry about who's the greatest. I think you need to be worried about are you even in the kingdom here? That's what Jesus is telling them. Be in the kingdom or not. I mean, the present status of these men as mature and independent men actually hindered them from entering the kingdom according to Jesus. I mean, they must become like or more directly, again, be converted into the state of childhood. How many of us are willing to do that? Now, some wives are sitting around looking at their husbands right now thinking, well, he doesn't have to convert, he's already there. Well, that's not the kind of childishness we're talking about. We're not talking about an immaturity. We're talking about something else. I mean, what Jesus seems to be teaching here is that just as this child is not fit to rule over a worldly kingdom, Neither are you because you're thinking that my kingdom is of this world. 
I mean, think about this. None of us would want ch- the children of our world to rule over it, would we? None of the parents want their children to rule the world. Now, many of the kids, now there's not many kids left. A lot of the littlest ones went over to another room. But if they were in here, think about this. If they were hearing this, they'd be eager to take over the world from the adults. Some of the teenagers right here are saying, we can rule this world better. But Jesus' point is this. No child is suited to rule the world. Therefore, one must convert to this childlike mindset to realize that no adult either is suited to rule the world, much less God's heavenly kingdom. That's the point here. I mean, Jesus does not seem to be asking his disciples to adopt an infantile mindset. I don't think, I mean, that's, that's what a lot of people take away from this text, that Jesus wants them to become infantile in their thinking. That's not what he's saying here. He's asking them to begin a, an obedience like a child, to learn to turn from greatness and turn again to humble service. He wants them to focus on the little tasks, to focus on serving the little people of the world, like the child here. In essence, this turning around, you could say, is almost a call to new birth. Like John chapter 3, verse 3. He's asking these men, he's looking at them, he says, when the men say, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Look at Jesus' response. He shows them a child. Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, in other words, quit being independent, strong men, turn and be like a child, you'll never enter my kingdom. I mean, we cannot cause our own birth or our own rebirth, can we? But here in verse 3, there's a conversion here called for. It's seen as an event constantly repeated in the Christian life to convert, to turn around, to become like. In this context is to be fully change your direction. Instead of being this independent-minded man, your mind has to change and be like a child. Verse 4. Verse 4, I think, is going to help us clearly see what he's talking about because we have to think about how children act. God is not calling men to be children. He's still calling them to be humble. What does it mean to be like a child? Look here at verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself. Humility, again, is the key. The, the, the arrogance of their initial question points to what Jesus is now calling them to. Don't be arrogant and consider yourself the greatest. Be humble like a child. I mean, what aspects of children is Jesus expecting here of the greatest in his kingdom? I mean, as we observe in verse 3, the first aspect is a conversion from adult-like ambition, right, to be the greatest, to be honored first is to the simple innocence of a child's mind. He's looking at the innocence of a child's mind more so than immaturity, innocence. I mean, Jesus does not want his disciples to merely imitate children. Think about this. All children have the tendency to be foolish and selfish, don't they? Is Jesus calling the man to be foolish and selfish? Not at all. I mean, think about a child. They'll scream, mine! That's that's what children do. I mean, anytime someone takes a favorite toy, 
that's, that's not what God wants us to be like. I mean, children tend to make foolish choices, don't they? And, and, and sometimes they're not very wise in their choices. They're still learning. I think what Jesus wants of the greatest in his kingdom here are for his beloved to be modest, to be simple, even to be candid like a child. I mean, children say what's on their minds. I mean, Jesus honors this attribute because children are honest. They do not hide behind pretenses of false humility. Children put themselves before no one. I mean, they they really do not understand ambition. Children really don't understand ambition the way adults do. Adults want to be the greatest. And we'll step over whoever we have to step on to get there. You don't really have that in children, not to that level. Now, children can be jealous, but this jealousy is often an immature jealousy, and it really doesn't lead to pride or arrogance like an adult does. Children put themselves before no one. They yield to all authority. I mean, especially parents and adults in authority, they think great things of others, little of themselves. Children look up to those in authority with awe. But see, this is what Jesus is looking at. One great Reformed theologian said this about children. He said, children follow their father, love their mother, do not know how to desire evil, care nothing for wealth, are not insolent, do not hate, do not lie, believe what is told to them, and suppose whatever they hear is true. Isn't that to a degree what children are like? They'll believe anything you tell them. That's the childlikeness that God is talking about. What Jesus is telling his disciples, become childlike, means that you believe what you are told as true, that you love the Father the way children love their parents. These arrogant men who were wanting to be great and ambitious, Jesus is saying, that's the wrong attribute for my kingdom. Be like the children. Children tend to put their entire being into what they do as well. Think about this. You ever seen a child get really wrapped up in a project? I'm I'm looking around. Some of the kids right now, they're they're drawing. Some of them are actually taking notes. Children in this church actually take notes from the sermon. I do see that from time to time. And boy, they're focused. You ever see them like that? Isn't that wonderful? I mean, they, they may... They may flip, though, from game to game. They may jump from game to game, but they do give themselves in a full way to whatever they're doing, don't they? It's like they can zone out the rest of the world and focus. I mean, a little child is one who gives himself to his task without being ashamed of it, not worried that what I'm doing is insignificant. I mean, children lack concern for what others think of them and their projects and their work, but they will, they'll eagerly seek the approval of adults, won't they? That's what Jesus is calling these men to. I mean, children lack concern for what others think of them or their projects and what, you know, the child's work, but, but they'll eagerly seek the approval. If, and what I, is what I'm doing making you happy, daddy? I mean, they, they eagerly say, look to me. But it's in an innocence that counters this pride that the disciples were displaying. The disciples were saying, look at me as the greatest, whereas a child says, look at me with approval. I mean, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
I mean, what Jesus expects here in verse 4 is that one must wholly reform or change from a jealous desire of ambition to be first, as if it's a stain on the soul. Look here at verse 4. Whoever humbles himself, humility, whoever humbles himself, is the opposite of whoever lifts himself up. I mean, Jesus expects us to be humbled. This means to have such a heart and mind that one truly must be considered to be childlike. One such child, the smallest and most humble in both body, stature, and soul. Utterly free from pride and haughtiness and desire. That's what he's calling us to. I mean, it's interesting in verse 4 that Jesus does awaken a new ambition to be great, though. By, by calling for humility, Jesus is calling for a different type of greatness. Yet this greatness is a new way to be great. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount how Jesus calls the citizens of his kingdom to a different state of being blessed? Remember back in Matthew chapter 6? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 6, 1, Jesus taught this. He says, don't elevate yourself for the sense of pride, but look for your reward instead from your Father in heaven. And then in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, here's what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But what? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is repeating the lesson here in Matthew 18. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 5, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Verse 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck. I mean, look here, verse 5. We're not going to focus on verse 5 and 6 today. We're going to look at that next week. But we have to see this, that there's no other. There's one other way to be small in the greatness of the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. It's not just that Jesus expects his disciples to humble themselves and be childlike in their faith and their trust and their attitude toward the Lord. It's also receiving little ones, the least of them, as if they were the greatest. Because remember the question in verse 1 from these disciples is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They were wanting to know who they were. But that same attitude of pride and arrogance can actually play out in how they treat others as well. If you don't treat others who are little ones, who are the least in the world. You're not part of my kingdom either. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, he says. I mean, we become childlike by giving ourselves in ways to what is given to us in little people and in little tasks, the insignificant ones. I mean, great tasks and great people are the significant preoccupation of ambition. And Jesus is turning that ambition, that preoccupation with pride around to humility. You look 
to those who are less than you. And you elevate them. That's another way of being great. The Apostle Paul echoes this idea in Romans 12, 16, when he says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. In other words, he's echoing what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 18. Do not elevate yourself to a selfish pride. Humble yourself and be with the lowly instead. That's part of what Jesus is teaching here. So from this point on in chapter 18, Matthew is going to repeat the idea of little ones. We're going to see that. And I think next week we're going to begin to unpack what Jesus is warning about here in verse 6. Verse 6 is a warning verse. I mean, it, it, sensitivity to the littlest among us is the point, and, and to ignore this, to intentionally harm someone who is less than by diverting their attention away from Christ actually leads to a horrible outcome. We've got to spend some time unpacking that next week, okay? Y'all ready for that? Not to scare you. Jesus is, is this part of the teaching here? The special work of the humble Christian is the passion for the little ones. I'm not talking about just passion for children in general, but passion for the littlest and the least in our world. And Jesus says that is the attribute I'm looking for in the greatest of my kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And so, God, I, I pray that, that what, what Jesus is teaching his disciples here in these verses is something that you will cause to resonate within us. Many of us struggle with day-to-day -day ambition, and we could do better. And then we worry about our position and our status and in the world that we live in, in our jobs. We may even worry about our position and status within our church, within our family. But God, I pray that the words of your son Jesus would go with us and humble us. That we should turn and be as not innocent like a child, but as eager as a child, seeking your approval, Father. Of not wanting ambition for ourselves, but seeking, Father, your approval for us. Do we obey you, Lord, or do we obey ourselves? Father, I, I, I pray that you would challenge us all in that. Because I think this is what your son is challenging his disciples with. Father, I pray that you would search our hearts. You would reveal the truth within us. And Lord, I pray that you would convert us to the childlikeness that Jesus is calling for here. Remind us, Father, of our position, that we are not the greatest, that your Son, Jesus Christ, is. And we are just humble before Him. So, Lord, I pray that you would use this time at the end of our service to speak to each of us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.